Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, here in beautiful Portland, Oregon, and joining me virtually from the studios there at the University of Notre Dame is my good friend and colleague, the man with who said, let go my leg, yo, turned into let go my ego, <laughs> Ken Hellenius. <laughs> Ken, how you doing, my friend? That little known fact is how chicken and waffles uh, got together. You see, let go my <laughs> leg, yo, was I was having a delicious chicken leg and somebody else at table was having a delicious waffle and somebody put a chicken in my waffle. Somebody put a waffle in my chicken. Next thing you know, chicken and waffle. <laughs> See, a little bit of history. You learned so much on, on Living Stones, I tell you. You never, you never knew <laughs> what you didn't know until we said it. Exactly. <laughs> Oh golly! Uh, I do. Awesome. I do like uh, Ego waffles, for the record. And again, our sponsorship opportunities are available if you happen to be uh, at uh, whoever <laughs> whoever makes the Ego waffle company. Although honestly, <laughs> I haven't bought an Ego waffle in years because uh, I got one of those little mini waffle makers. I can make them on my own. I, I they're the same size and everything. So, so there goes the, <laughs> there goes the Ego account. <laughs> yeah. See, there you go. <laughs> Lost the sponsor. Oh, oh well. well. <laughs> oh well. Deacon, well, how you doing on this beautiful uh, feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe? Oh, you know I love me some Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, my, you know, maybe you remember this before I got married, back when my beloved bride Jules, uh, you know, used to employ her feminine wiles to uh, to make sure that I was always in love with her. And I am here. We've been married 15 years Um, before we married. She used to make me these fantastic shirts. Um, she's a quilter, you know, so she would make me these wonderful shirts with, with fabric that she would find at the, at the, uh, uh, you know, quilt shop and things like that. And I have a, a shirt that I refer to as my personal Tilma, which is, uh, it has Our Lady of, Our Lady of Guadalupe right in the front. And I love that shirt. And it's just wonderful because, you know, I, I love Mary. I love the Blessed Mother. Uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe is, of course, patroness of the Americas. So I love wearing the shirt. That was, now we've been married 15 years. Julie made me the shirt probably three or four years before we married. So um, the shirt has some age on it. And it has, let me just say, my shirt has worn out more than the actual Tilma of Juan Diego, because the actual Tilma of Juan Diego, we know, is still, you know, it should have disintegrated centuries ago. It's made of like straw, basically. Uh, I have this fabric shirt that is worn out because I, I mean, I wear it all the time, you know, but um, Juan Diego's Tilma, you know, this is the sign of a miracle. It's a sign that, that God wanted to let, you know, God wanted to use the Blessed Mother as a sign that God loves all peoples. And so, you know, we've been talking about evangelization through kind of travel, through pilgrimage. And I think uh, the Tilma of Juan Diego and the image and the, the apparition of uh, the Blessed Mother, Our Lady of Guadalupe, is, is a fantastic sign and reminder of God's love for us. Yes, amen. And uh, I love the fact, too, that 
just like you mentioned, Our Lady Levang, uh, last show that she appears with the features of the people that she appeared to. Right. You know. So again, we we have to break down these stereotypes that uh, that uh, Mary was European, or you know, they, right, they, right. They, you know, um, th- there is no physical description of the Blessed Mother or Jesus in the scriptures, um, but we know that they were they were Palestinian Jews, you know, and, and we both been to the Holy Land. And we saw what Palestinian Jews looked like, right? Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. They don't look like they don't look European. No. Um, but see, but that doesn't matter. That's why people can take. Uh, images of the Blessed Mother and our Lord and adapt them to their own culture. Yeah. You know, because they're, they're, they're God for all peoples, you know? So in our church, we have a beautiful statue of Our Lady Levon. We have a beautiful depiction of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Yeah. You know, we have uh, uh, St. Kateri Tetequitha, you know, and, and Moses the Black and 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 uh, Juan Diego, you know, uh, th- those images to, to reflect the, the richness and the beauty and the depth of the church and, and God's love, you know? So, um, so people shouldn't get upset or offended when they see images of the, uh, of the blessed mother of Jesus and other cultures, no. you know, Jesus came for every, Jesus came for everybody. And again, they certainly were not European. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but it's okay to, to take those, that just what they did in, in, in art. They took, you know, the European painters took them and made, them look European and, and this African artists that take them, make them look African and, and Asian artists and make them look Asian. That's, and that's all good. Yeah. So, you know, you think of our national shrine in Washington, D.C., the national shrine of the Immaculate Conception, Basilica of the Immaculate Conception has so many different chapels, each chapel devoted to Our Lady in a particular ethnic representation, a particular devotion of Our Lady that is meaningful for, you know, what we used to call it the melting pot of America, right? America is a nation of immigrants, and our national shrine of the Blessed Virgin is itself a reflection of the many, many different immigrants who have come to America, come to the United States to to make this our home. And that church is fantastic because of so many different, you know, so many different representations. There's, you know, Our Lady of Lebanon and uh, Our Lady of Lavang and Our Lady of the Pillar, you know, which is, you know, uh, there's Our Lady of Cobre, which is Cuba. Is so many different images. And again, she is, her features reflect the people of, you know, the, the people of each of those different uh, regions. And uh, that is one of the most beautiful things. And it seems so incredibly appropriate that we here in the United States, this nation of so many different immigrants, would have a church that reflects us that way, you know? And again, it's it's all the Blessed Mother who who is important because she brings us her son, her divine son. And that's who is ultimately, you know, everything that the Blessed Mother, the, every honor we give to the Blessed Mother is a reflection on her because in virtue of her son. And so that's why, of course, it's the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception, because she was conceived immaculately as a singular privilege in view of the redemption to be wrought by her son. So it all comes yes. back to Christ. Amen. No, amen. It's, it's well said, Ken. And, uh, you know, and I've had a beautiful experience as traveling, as have you internationally, and seeing the church with these different beautiful expressions of culture and faith and vibrancy and dynamism, you know, that really reflects the body of Christ and has really opened my mind and my heart 
to really appreciate the church universal, you know, yeah. to really have an appreciation of what that means. And, you know, um, and so it's been, it's been amazing, which actually ties in quite beautifully with what we're talking about today, continuing our, our talk about pilgrimages. You know, we're talking about the pilgrim pilgrimage of the church, uh, the, the body of Christ. And in there, paragraph 12, it does talk about, you know, how Paul and the apostles went out to different countries, to different places around the known world at that time. And uh, and then we see at Pentecost, you know, Holy Spirit coming. And it mentions here specifically that, you know, Greek and Latin and Hebrew, Aramaic were kind of the major languages that were spoken. But now uh, we see Aramaic and Syriac and Ethiopian and Persian, Armenian and Gothic and Slavic and Hindu and Chinese and you know, yeah. <laughs> all these different cultures expressing faith and love for God. And in fact, th- that just reminded me, you know, many places in the Holy Land, like a church of the Annunciation, Church of Visitation, they'll have, for example, the Magnificat in dozens of other languages. But the one most striking one is the Paternoster Church, mm-hmm. Our Father Church. I mean, I can't even count how many different languages the Our Father is in at that place. It's spectacular. Yeah, the to beautiful see that tiles kind of written out all, all along yes. the walls. Yeah. Oh, it's it's incredible. I and mean, yeah. it's just like what? And some languages I've never even heard. I literally have never even heard of these languages before. Yeah. But they all have the beautiful depictions of the Our Father. It just shows that this pilgrimage, this church, the church herself is not just individuals. As a church, we are also pilgrimaging. And you know, when we when we see these other cultural expressions, we see different ways of journeying to that same one destination that we talked about last time, of course, Ken, which is heaven. It's interesting, of course, you know, you're describing, you're saying, uh, you know, the languages of Pentecost, you know, include Syriac, Armenian, Gothic, Slavic, Hindi, Chinese, Slavic. The very Slavic alphabet is actually called the Cyrillic alphabet, named after St. Cyril. St. Cyril, who was an evangelist, who went to preach the gospel. And in order to preach the gospel and give the gospel to the the Slavs, he had to actually create the alphabet so that they could write it down, so that they could read and study and remember what gospel they were hearing. And so this is a sign of the church even helping create the culture that— that it animates, right? The church, in order to share Christ, is helping teach all nations, right? This is actually the word that that is used at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is the missionary journey on which the church is sent— to mission to be missionaries to the ends of the world and that's actually a pilgrim journey right it's bringing the truth of the gospel to the very ends of the earth is something on which we are sent in order to bring people back to Christ and so that's a, a fantastic sort of thing that I think about. You're right, the, the church of the Paternoster, in, uh, you know, which is just outside of Jerusalem, kind of above, above Jerusalem and kind of overlooks. And so that you can mm-hmm. see this is where, you know, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he, he gave us the words. And this church shows that those words have literally gone to the ends of the earth. And that's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah, and that's the one thing about the pilgrimage experience, you're changed and the people and the countries that we visit are also changed. So, so when you go there, 
the people that are in the countries that we're visiting, these beautiful pilgrimage sites, have not experienced you before. Right. right? So they, they're changed because now they, they've never experienced you and the individual and unique and beautiful gifts that you bring of Christ's presence to them, right? In a way that's unique, in a way that only you can, because God has bestowed upon you uh, unique, special gifts and talents that you now share with others. So that person is changed because they've never experienced you before. And then you're changed, right? Because right. you're bringing with you maybe some heaviness, maybe some trepidation. You're bringing prayers for your children. You're bringing all these experiences uh, of your own of your own life on pilgrimage. And because of the pilgrimage experience, you are now changed. You come back renewed, maybe filled with, with hope, with deeper love for Christ and the Eucharist and, and for our faith and the creed. And when you pray the Our Father, now you in your in your mind, you your mind goes to the place where Jesus taught them the Our Father. You know, um the when when the, the, the priest is saying the words of the Eucharistic prayer, your mind now goes to that upper room, you know, that you were on when you were on pilgrimage, you know, and or, or Guadalupe, right? Today, when you when you go, uh, when you we celebrate the feast of Guadalupe, you're, you're in your mind, you're remembering when you visited Guadalupe, right? And so you're changed by that experience, which then changes your perception and understanding of the church. So the church is not just the people in your parish, right? Because that's, I, th I mean, as wonderful as those people are, uh, that's a very limited expression of what the church is. And that's why I think we should take pilgrimages, not just to other countries, but to monasteries, to see how that aspect of the church is being lived out. Um, in fact, we just got an interesting email from the diaconate office that the priest at the Maronite church in Portland is, are looking for more deacons to assist him uh, at the divine liturgy, the Maronite rite. And so they're reaching out to Latin rite deacons. And he said he's willing to train them, but he, he really wants the, the experience of the deacon. So again, that's another uh, way that we get to experience church when we when we go and celebrate these other rites that are in the part of the Catholic Church, we just don't think about them. Yeah, you know that this is it's just a beautiful and for me, I can't even begin to tell you. And now that in fact, I just celebrated you know the twenty years of ordination to the diaconate. Uh, the twenty third, but back on the twenty third was my twentieth uh, anniversary. I was there. And, and I think I was at your diaconate yes, ordination. Yes, you, I yes. can't. Re it, it's been that long. Oh my gosh! Yes. Happy belated yep, anniversary, Deacon. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. And and, and I talk about myself. Myself being changed. I remember laying on the on the marble at the altar of our Cathedral of Immaculate Conception, and uh, the names Vincent, Ephraim, Lawrence. Francis with Cecilia, as they as they began to you know Stephen. pray for us all the deacon saints, you know I thought wow you know and joining the, these group of men from all over the world from both east and the west you know to help bring the message of Christ. Obviously at the time I didn't literally think it was going to be to the nations like I've been to twenty five countries so far you know <laughs> wow. bringing the message of Christ and I just never would imagine at that time twenty years ago that I would be changed and that God is using me as an instrument to help bring the message to so many people in so many different countries. It's just been, um, it's been an incredible journey. And, but this is something that God wants all of us to experience at some level in our life or another, you know, and if you're not able to go another country, then you can do a domestic pilgrimage right, uh, right here. Well, and this document kind of goes on to talk about that experience and to, to talk about how there's also an internal pilgrimage. 
Uh, and this is very much spiritual, uh, what's called ascetic migration or spiritual exodus, represent, as the document says, two of its fundamental and inspiring forms. Uh, some biblical figures assume a paradigmatic role in monastic and, and patristic literature. Uh, so Abraham is often linked to this idea of being a stranger. Right. He, he was a stranger in the land because he was called from Ur of the Chaldees and he was a stranger in the land to which he went. Uh, the idea of a migrant uh, and this image, of course, uh, so many people feel, uh, you know, and we as Christians are called to to feel as migrants in the land where we are, because, again, our heavenly home is the home to which we are journeying, not a place here on earth. Uh, and then the idea of Moses, Moses who guides the exodus from slavery in Egypt, is for us in the spiritual life a journey from the life of sin, the slavery of sin, to the freedom of the promised land, the freedom that is found in the sacraments, the freedom that is found in Christ when we are in relationship with him and his church, in right relationship, when we are you know, availing ourselves of the sacrament of reconciliation, when we are being fed by the manna of the Christian life, which is the Eucharist itself, we are on pilgrimage. Even if we never leave our hometown, we can be on pilgrimage, on this spiritual pilgrimage. And the this whole idea, the, the concept of the Christian life as pilgrimage is ultimately a search for intimacy with the divine. It's intimacy with God by being detached, as this document says, from the tumult of things and events and the veneration of holy places. Can you know? And the idea of being drawn to the holy places, we can do it here in our own little local shrines. But there is also, of course, for those who have the means and the ability, the travel to the actual holy shrines. But it's not something that is precluded even if you can't leave your own home. That's such an important thing to remember. We've been talking about this for a number of weeks now, but you can do it right where you are by availing yourself of the sacraments and viewing your life and understanding your life as a journey to the kingdom of God. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just like spiritual communion. You know, uh, if you can't get the mass, I remember still on EWTN when when you're watching mass and obviously you can't be at mass, you know, there's a beautiful prayer that the sister says about spiritual communion. Mm -hmm. You know, even though you can't receive Jesus at time, you, you're, you're, you know, you're asked to kind of join your heart to receive him spiritually into yourself, you know, that kind of thing. And the same thing's true with pilgrimage. You may not be able to physically go there, but the idea of pilgrimage is a deeply spiritual reality. Right. It's it's the physical journey. The whole point of that is lead to a deeper spiritual connection to a, a deeper spiritual reality. And so if you're not able to make that journey, you can still uh, have spiritual communion, in a sense, with the people that are on pilgrimage. And that's one of the reasons, Ken, quite frankly, is why I share, which I'm going to be doing during the Christmas break, uh, sharing my last set of videos for my last pilgrimage to Poland and to uh, Czech Republic and to uh, Prague, you know, so people that can't go to those places can still at least experience some of the joy that the rest of us had when we were there. That's why I post those videos, not to as advertisement for people to come on pilgrimage with me in the future, um, but more than that, really to help people be, uh, have people have a spiritual communion um, with all of us who were there. So they still feel connected 
to those beautiful places and to the reality that God is trying to speak to them in their hearts and in their lives. That's so awesome. I, I love your videos. I, I enjoy seeing just the tippy top of your head uh, yeah. you know, so that I can see more of what uh, of what you're talking about. Yeah, but those those are. Uh, and, and for me, you know, having been to, to several of the places to which you have shared videos, of, again, it's a reminder, uh, a refreshment in a way of, of what I myself experience. But it's also it renews in my own, you know, mind's eye what I saw and takes me back to this. Um, Gregory of Nyssa, one of the Cappadocian fathers, uh, the great, you know, uh, fourth century preacher and theologian, one of the great doctors of the Eastern Church. He, of course, you know, lived being in the Eastern Church. He was able to travel devoutly himself to Palestine to visit the very places in which our Lord suffered and died. But he also wrote about this idea of the importance of the interior pilgrimage that can be had by anyone. And he talks about this, although he himself had visited the Holy Land, he constantly affirmed that the true journey to be experienced, and this is quoted in this in this uh, particular document that we're reading uh, in paragraph 13, he says, um, the true journey to be experienced is the one that leads the faithful from the physical reality to the spiritual one, from the corporeal life to life in the Lord. It's not the trip from Cappadocia to Palestine or, or the trip from Portland to Rome or the trip from South Bend, Indiana to Guadalupe. It's the actual physical reality giving way to the spiritual one because it's equally possible to Pay your money, sign up, get your passport, get all the stuff in order, go on the trip, buy all the souvenirs, take all the photos, listen to all of the facts bubbled into your ear, earpiece by the tour guide, come home and not have made a single step towards the Lord. It's entirely possible to do that. You could treat a pilgrimage as pure vacation just to go sightsee and not gain anything spiritually. And you would be in a worse place in many ways than the person who never leaves their home, but who devoutly prays and who devoutly seeks to be in communion with the Lord and to enter into contemplation of the truths and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and who avails herself of his sacraments. That person can have a far more fruitful you know, journey through Advent than a person who spends all of Advent on the road uh, on pilgrimage. This is what we are constantly reminded of as well. Yeah, and it, you're exactly right. And in that same paragraph, it talks about how St. Jerome writes that St. Anthony of the Desert and those early monks never visited Jerusalem. Right? <laughs> yet, yet the gates of heaven, it says, were wide open for them just the same. So he affirmed the fact that for Christians, the motive to praise God is not the fact that you've been to one of the great holy sites on pilgrimage, but rather that they've lived holy lives. Yes. See, and that's the key. The key is that visiting these holy places help us to experience a deeper experience of, of God's love, which uh, helps us to live holier lives. But you can still experience that even without going, you know, by again, living vicariously through others or making a spiritual pilgrimage is just as powerful because where the same destination is is heaven, right? It's a right. It's the same whether you actually physically go on pilgrimage or not. The destination we're all going to is exactly the same. The 
uh, divinization of the human person, this, this paragraph ends, the divinization of the human person is the great aim of the long journey of the spirit that places the believer in the very heart of God, thus fulfilling the words of the apostle, the apostle Paul, I have been crucified with Christ and I live now, not with my own life, but with the life of Christ who lives in me. Therefore to Paul, life for me is Christ. And that's the goal of every pilgrimage, whether it be spiritual or corporeal, whether it be in prayer or on the bus, it is to live life in Christ. Uh, And that's uh, perhaps the single most important thing that we can remember. And then if you get a chance to go on one of these beautiful pilgrimages, then you've already got the right goal in mind and in your heart because you are already on that journey and you're being conscious of that. And that's uh, one of the, one of the awesome things that uh, we're invited to do. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. It, it also talks in the next paragraph about when the persecution by the Roman empire was over, the sites of the martyrdom were open for public veneration and this intense flow of pilgrimages started. You know, and, and that's really, in a sense, the genesis of the idea of pilgrimages that we understand now. The church with this desire to visit these places where people died for the faith with, that they've heard about in Paul's letters, right? You know, that they've been reading in, in their churches uh, on, on the day of the sun, right? Uh, as recorded in paragraph 1345 of the Catechism, letter from St. Justin Martyr. Uh, so to, to actually, now the desire that, that, they were free to practice their faith to actually go there for themselves. I want to see where Jesus walked. I want to go to a place where Paul talked about, you know, and, and that's where that desire uh, comes from. So it's always been the desire of the church in her heart from almost from the very beginning uh, to, to go and to experience these places for themselves. Again, not just to get souvenirs, but to grow more deeply in love with Christ. Amen. Well, when we pick up our conversation next week, Deacon, let's talk a little bit about kind of the um, kind of the historical uh, reality of uh, the establishment of pilgrimage routes and, and pilgrimage sites and things like that, because we've run out of time for tonight, but we will be back next week. So we look forward to having you join us on this little virtual pilgrimage of the radio. We invite you to connect with previous episodes of the show. Download those at materdayradio.com. And if you're on Facebook, you can find us at Living Stones Media. Deacon, until we gather next week, might we have a blessing? May Almighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M A T E R D E I radio.com.